When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Chels. Oh my goodness, what difference a week makes. There we were, all trepidatious a week or so ago. We'd beaten Leeds, but we had the big one of Dortmund coming up. And then we had Leicester away. Could we capitalise on everything? Could we be wonderful? Could we turn our whole season round? Who could say at that time what would happen? But I'm sure some of you out there go, I knew it was only a matter of time. Well, let's see. We've got a strange scenario tonight because Andy Saunders was going to be with us, but he's in his place, his pile in the country. And some of you may go, place in the country, that can't be bad. But the problem is he's got no electric So he can't get on. No Wi-Fi because he's up there miles away and he's got no electric. So we are going to excite you all by just having direct talk between two chaps talking Chelsea stuff. And the man I'm entrusting wisdom to come out of is Mr. Daniel Charles. Hello, Dan. How are you? Hi, mate. How are you? You can't rely on me for any uh, Bruce Bing- Bringstein stuff right at the start of the... You can't even, yeah, say, I can't his even name, say his name. So I'm, just, you know. I'm just, you know, I'm a hack already. I should, you know, I should just... T- <laughs> the, 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 I'm like an Andre Mariner of this episode, you know, trying to ruin the game. No, absolutely. Well, look, you know, I don't think I'm... The, it's only Gary who's the big Springsteen fan. And he couldn't make it either. He was meant to be here as well. We're going to have everyone in to share in the happiness of the week that's been. So do not worry. We need not mention Springsteen's name ever again. And that'll be fine. I won't miss hearing it, I tell you. Um, but yeah, how are you? You, you? you all good? How do you feel after a week like we've had? Do you not find this, there's something that, I'd forgotten what it was like to feel all happy. Yeah, it was, and really, it's all Chelsea. Yeah, me and my dad were having this conversation after walking home from the Dortmund game. Funny enough, of it all kind of feels you're not sure how to react to it based on this season, like being happy about the game. And then I was speaking to people the day after Dortmund of kind of just consuming a lot of content after the games, whether that's the post-match press conference, the interviews, just the reaction from fans, you know, fan videos, all that stuff. Like I hadn't been doing that this season. Like pretty much most Chelsea games are just sort of switched off other than the stuff I do for my own YouTube. I just, I forget about it. And I'd sort of forgotten what that feeling was like of sort of either just going through and like mass retweeting the players, posts, happy pictures, you know, after the game. So it's it's a lovely feeling and it's, it's nice how quickly things have turned. We know how quickly they can turn back the other way but uh yeah it's, it's just of course anytime Chelsea win at the weekend it makes my weekend and when Liverpool lose as well it makes it an even better weekend uh yeah absolutely and of course you know at the weekend and we'll, we'll go back in a minute in time we'll go back in time to the Dortmund game but it gets you all ready and prepared to watch match of the day say what match of the day oh who would have thought that football commentary and football punditry would end up at the top of all the news items. Um, I'll just get your take on it. Did the BBC make a big, big mistake there? Probably, yeah, because you just look at the fallout, that basically all of their football coverage collapsed within hours. Um, I, I don't think they were probably expecting that reaction. Uh, and when you've got a situation where your flagship show on a Saturday night is reduced to just a, a bland highlight show, you know, that and, and also, you know, look at the reaction this morning where they've basically gone back 
on everything where Gary can tweet what he wants now uh, and we're just going back to usual because, you know, there, there was a, a very serious situation where I think there's FA Cup games this week. So they had to sort of sort out who was going to be on those uh, shows. So it kind of made sense after a while that that was going to happen. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I think maybe there's people within politics who maybe didn't really account for the fact of how important football is to people no matter their political sort of allegiance and do I care what Gary Lineker tweets about no like you know it's it's one of those things where if he in the middle of a match today broadcast suddenly turned around and talked about government policy then I think there would clearly be a problem like that's then the BBC impartiality where I could understand but just a tweet. I mean, it's it's it just for all of this. It's just classic sort of. The, the worst part for me was seeing him like cameras and journalists swarming him outside his house. That was the most comical part of it. It was very Black Mirror. It's probably why we're not getting another series of Black Mirror, one of my favourite shows, because you just look at the reality of this country now, and that's what we get. And it's it's just it, it takes away from the serious issues. Uh, it really does. So I I just found the whole thing another comical moment in british politics it just makes you think we're all living in a, a, a simulation yeah absolutely football is bigger than any war any political conflict any political trauma any economic problems you name it football and uh gary lineker's tweets are bigger than everything and you know it did feel as though he may just in one fell swoop bring down the bbc and the government but here we are because it's such a crazy world and to be honest i don't care what people tweet as long as it's not it's not hatred or sexism or racism or homophobic i don't care people should be able to say what they want to say whether you agree with it or not it's it's a matter of free speech so and I just have to say, lastly on this, I loved the way that Ian Wright was the first one to go, yeah, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going on the programme. And everyone followed suit. And it just shows what a powerful voice people have when they stand united together. Mm. So, yeah, well done to the whole football world and the players and, and everyone who was saying that they weren't going to do interviews afterwards. Everything, the players, uh, you know, everyone has played their part. So, yeah. Let's carry on and let's watch some football. That's what I think over the next few weeks. And I'm ready to watch Chelsea. So, yes. OK, let's go back in time. So we'd had the monumental victory against Leeds. Uh, and then we stepped into the the uh, abyss that is known as the Champions League last 16. And Dortmund, we all know we play pretty well over there. Probably should have got something but couldn't hit a barn door. And then the game at Stamford Bridge, everything changed. Were you expecting what you saw and the passion that you saw? And, and suddenly, did you not think there seemed to be a plan in place that you could visibly see, possibly for the first time? On the first point, you did, you know, walking up to the bridge that night, there did seem to be a different kind of energy in the air, like even a slightly different crowd to say the usual Premier League games. That was just a vibe I got. I mean, I did see similar faces because I was sat in my usual season ticket spot uh, for that game, but it, it did feel slightly different. And what I found lovely about the evening was despite all the very real frustrations of this season about the players about the head coach about maybe things the new ownership have done it felt like from the off everyone had decided within that ground no matter their frustrations and, and feelings they were going to get strongly behind the team and try to recreate one of those magical Champions League nights that we've had down the years and there did seem to be a an inevitability about the night like it did kind of feel like th this crowd is going to try and drag Chelsea across the line but then also as you said the the change in system to a back three, you know, having Reese James and Ben Chirwell as wing backs, there was a very sort of tuckle vibe to recent games in the sense of defenders starting to score goals again. But then also just the sense in that game against Dortmund was it wasn't the most elegant football you're ever going to see. But what I liked, it was it was effective. It was fast. It was at times pragmatic. At times I, I loved seeing say the back three if they had to hit it long they would hit it long if they were being pressed there wasn't a, a sense to sort of force short passing if if we were under pressure by Dortmund and it just yeah that energy that 
unity that I think has been lacking. I, I said on another podcast last week about the Dortmund game that you know it has felt another podcast. Yeah, there, there are others, um, not as good, not as good. Um, that I, I felt that over the past year, there's there's almost been. It sounds sort of crazy to say, but like. You go to a lot of Chelsea games when when results haven't been going well, and and it feels like the the players and the the crowd at Stamford Bridge has kind of been a bit of a combative relationship rather than a unified one. And I felt that at Dortmund it felt very much in sync, and uh, there were some brilliant, outstanding performances on the pitch as well. And it just it, it felt like a night. There was there were several things. I felt it was a night where Graham Potter felt like the Chelsea head coach for the first time. It felt like his Chelsea team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get to these items because I think that they're all worth talking about. And, and the Potter one, I think, is fascinating because we'll tie that up with the end of the game as well. But when you're talking about some of the players' performances, the, the one thing that I would say, well, there, there are three people I'd like to really single out. One is Cucurella, who has had absolute dog's abuse, as they used to say, um, being voted man of the match was absolutely spot on for pretty much the whole game and looked the player that we'd hoped he would be. And him, the way he dovetailed with Chilwell, suddenly looked so good. That side of the Chelsea team felt complete for the first time this season. In fact, yeah, let, let's start with Cucurella and then we'll, mm. then I'll take us on to someone else. What were your thoughts on him? Especially because he's been kept out of the firing line and Potter had said this mm. as well. Yeah, there were a load of raised eyebrows when you saw his name in the in the lineup because, you know, the struggles he's had and also you knew if things went wrong, that'd be a, a place where people would criticise Graham Potter, right? And um I think it's a it's a sign of good coaching. It's a sign of, of you know, people have been mocking Graham Potter's emotional intelligence in recent weeks, but I think this is a sign of of understanding a player and understanding when is the right time to take them out the firing line rather than just putting them in there at the over and over again and hoping something's going to change. Sometimes you do need to take that player out of that situation. And quite clearly, Kukurea has had off-field issues this season. He's had to deal with two. And that's obviously made it difficult on top of where Chelsea have been this season, but also a massive move for a lot of money where a lot of pressure has been put on him. And technically, I, you know, I said this, I've been saying this all season, and I think it's the case of a lot of players Chelsea buy. These aren't rubbish players. Like, there's a reason why, say, Pep Guardiola was very interested in buying Mark Cucurea last year. And you weren't, I think there's a lot of revisionism that gets, that takes place in sort of Chelsea discussion over players when they don't do well for us instantly is that, well, they were never good to begin with. And I, I just don't buy that. I think Mark Cucurea has his flaws, but I think technically because he came through, say, the Barcelona sort of system, I think he's a very technically sound player and his crisp passing was exactly what Chelsea needed to progress the ball from that side and I think that's what Graham Potter said as much but you know I think it's it's a it's a double thing of a character sort of showing up and and responding to adversity on a big night which is brilliant for him but then also from a coaching perspective of of really gauging when was the right time to bring him in and when you do that as a coach it's it's very easy when a result a big result goes in your favor you look like a bit of a genius and and um, I think it was a great night for Kukurea. The, the other person, and we'll stay on this side. I mean, Ben Chilwell, um, Andy was saying to me last week when I was going eulogising about him, saying he's back, he looks good, he's doing the business. And he's saying, well, let's just see how long, you know, hopefully it lasts. And he's just going on from strength to strength. I mean, again, you can see why Manchester City keep putting out this little rumour that, oh, we're quite interested in him. I'm not surprised. Mm. He's he's one of the best at his job. Okay, Anything could happen. He's still coming back from injury. But he really is giving us something that we've lacked so much. And interestingly, Reese James was pretty quiet against Dortmund. They seem to focus on yeah. keeping him out of the game. But left Chilwell to, to really cause some damage. Yeah, if, going back to the Leeds game quickly, that was something Chelsea were trying to do consistently in like the first half, was trying to find that crossfield ball for, for Chilwell uh, behind Ailing, who had a real difficulty sort of containing Chilwell. And, and a lot of defences have trouble containing Chilwell because I think he's a very intelligent player. He, he just is able to gauge when to make runs and the sort of... Um, diagonal runs he makes from out wide inwards are, are very very dangerous particularly if someone floats a ball over the top but you know he creates the first goal um 
he crosses the ball that then gets uh, given as a handball against Wolf. You know, he was he was so involved. The whip he was giving to Chelsea's team, the 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 energy Chilwell gives is just. And as a character, I felt this from the moment we bought him. He's just a great character to have in a dressing room. You just get that vibe from him, and technically. I just think he he at times is an underrated player. I do. I think he's what he does is able to finish chances or create chances. Um, there was a reason we, you know, I st- I think the fee we paid for him was low. To be honest, I you know I think fifty million was a good deal, and I remember saying it at the time for for what he offered, and um, it's just wonderful to see him back because. Like in a different way to Kukurea, he's he suffered obviously a lot of injury setbacks and, and to have the massive injury setback last season that, you know, ended his season effectively to come back from that, but then get another injury setback just as he was coming back into form and fitness is, you know, the mental strength you have to have to get back from that is is huge. I think that's something we don't kind of appreciate is that, you know, it's easy to think of these players you know, as as kind of robots and they'll just be back and then they'll start playing well. But there's a lot of maybe confidence that has to come through that of trusting your body again. And to think that Chilwell so quickly has got back to his best levels uh, speaks to a very special player. Absolutely. And from what I can gather, he never had injuries up until last mm. season. So that that's also a real sort of shows his strength of the state of mind that he comes through one and then another injury and then he's back within a few weeks of coming back properly the second time he seems to be he seems to be totally 100% fit flying in he doesn't seem to be shirking tackles yeah i i absolutely absolutely think it was brilliant i mean, on on talking about injuries though one thing i would say that i thought helped us was julian brank going off so early because for me i I got, I got, um, you know, into a bit of a discussion with somebody about the fact that I thought he was their best player in the first leg. For me, him going off really caused a problem for them straight away. Yeah, it created. I, I think for for Dortmund, you know, I thought that in periods during the first half, I thought they managed the game quite well because you had the initial wave because of the crowd, and then I think they gained possession. But they once they had to get a goal, I think they became very blunt. Like it was, it it was like watching Chelsea trying to break down a low block in that second half. They kind of had no kind of intricacy, um, and it felt like a link was kind of missing between Bellingham, say Royce, and then as you say, Julian Brandt, who um, kind of goes under the radar a little bit if you're not a Bundesliga watcher regularly. He, I think, but he is a, a very tenacious player and can be a very direct and, and dangerous player. And um, I, I do agree with you. I felt, you know, compared to, say, Jude Bellingham, who was obviously going to gain a lot of the headlines, I felt probably out of Dortmund players, he probably was the more impressive. And and psychologically too, you know, if you're preparing for a big game and you lose a big player within, what was it, five minutes of the game starting, that completely changes your plans. Um, given how tactical and tense and close fine margins these games are, you you know, I, I think that obviously for them, it, it was a, it maybe would have changed the way they looked at the game and, I think it more affected them in the second half when they were trying to get a goal back and, and Chelsea, I think, were able to nullify that very well. Uh, the other person I'd like to single out as well is Kai Havertz. You know, again, he's a person who's been played out of position constantly. He's a person who's, again, been sort of like chosen as the one that, oh, that a lot of people say he should go. But Potter did something very interesting with him, which nobody's really done before at Chelsea. Everyone's forced him into the nine. He played him just behind a quicker player. And against Dortmund, he did that with Sterling. He did the same thing at Leicester behind Mudrick. And it all seemed to click for him. He suddenly looked like the player Mm. that we know he could be. And he was controlling things. He was passing. His movement was great. It was almost like the pressure was off him. Do you think this was actually a moment of true tactical genius from Potter? And he's got the perfect response from the player who goes, finally, this is a place I want to play in this side. Yeah, I I would wait to see how long Havertz is playing well for because, you know, I remember, funny enough, it was this time last year in March uh, after the sanctions, Havertz had a really good spell of goals. Like he he looked like he he clicked in front of goal. I remember he scored, scored against Newcastle, scored against Norwich, you know, scored a hat-trick against someone. I can't, can't remember who it was, but he, he looked really good. Um, but this is the problem with Havertz is, is it's about consistency. But the one, the biggest credit I can give to Havertz as a Chelsea player, because the stats just bear it out, he's, he's, a, he's a big game player. He just seems to have a knack for scoring big goals and putting in big performances on big occasions. And and that in itself is 
is a bit of a priceless attribute to have. Um, but it, it, it makes him quite a confusing player because with the talent he has and when he has an impact like that, as you saw against Borussia Dortmund. And I, just on a question of, yeah, tactically, I think it helps him when he doesn't have someone because he loves running down that right channel. That was where he played very effectively for, for Bayer Leverkusen. And we've seen it at times at Chelsea. And since he's come into Chelsea, you've had Hakim Ziyech, who obviously likes to go down that flank. We signed Romelu Lukaku, who despite being a centre forward, also likes to run down that right channel. So that was maybe causing problems last season as well. Um, so, you know, for, for Kai Havertz, it's all about that sort of consistency. But I do agree with you. If if you can have someone that plays off him, and, and it makes me excited, say, with uh, the potential of Christopher Nkunku coming in next season, of you could think about Nkunku playing as a faster player ahead of Kai Havertz. Um, but it's all, for me, with, with Havertz, the talent's always, always been there. You, you you know, hopefully he can score another big goal in the Champions League for Chelsea this season. Uh, but just outstanding performance. But I think for me, it's just... Hopefully we can see it more consistently. Yeah, exactly. And also he's 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 dropped back, and um, it's it's one of those things whereby he's actually got a partner there in Felix, and they're able to control. But he's they they seem to take it in turns to move. I just thought it was I just thought it was very very clever. I th- I thought it worked really well, and I think it just freed him up. And I think you'll see more from him because I think he'll be more relaxed. He's no longer leading the line. He's creating from a position whereby people can go past him, which he loves. And he likes having people ahead of him. So I, I think it, I think it's going to work. Um, so we'll just, just see how that, that plays out. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things whereby I'm just getting a text. This is live that... Andy Saunders, his electric is back on and he's going to come in live. Uh, and I'm, I'm absolutely like this is momentous. Is that Andy stuff. Saunders this music is, playing? It's, <laughs> he's going to get his walk on music coming on. He's, he's joining us. He's here. The man they said would never get power up in Norfolk. He's in. He's a little bit late. Andy, I can see you've got your lights on in the background. You've got a little bit of lens flare across you, making look almost messianic. Um, and I don't mean Lionel. And uh, we, how are you? It's nice to see you. What a surprise. Well, well this is the test. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Hey. Are you, you recording? Go. I am recording. Yeah. Excellent. Anyway, sorry about that. Oh, no, hey, look, these things happen. That's rural living. We, we've had it happen. And you, you've, you've, you've joined us at a very good moment because we are in the middle of the Dortmund dissection. And we're talking about, actually, I'll drop you in because this is right up your strasse. Uh, we're talking about Kai Havertz and how this new position that Potter is, has managed to make for him behind a faster player allows him the freedom to be the Havertz that we really think he could be. And Daniel was just saying... We've got to see over a period of time, but uh, it does look pretty good in the fact that it suits him. It did against Dortmund. It did against Leicester. Three words. I told you so. Four. That's, That's four. four words. Yeah, but you. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, then on the. T- I told you so. You said last uh, last time that you thought Potter wasn't really the man for Chelsea long term. Have you changed after a week? Uh, I don't think so. No, I think that he has had a great week. Um, you know, in, just echoing what Daniel said there, uh, we have to see whether he can sustain it and whether he can move it forward. I think what I also said was, if he goes on a massive run until the end of the season and, you know, proves himself to be uh, someone that can dictate the, 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 the future of the club, then I'll hold my hands up. But my instinct last week was that he's not the long-term manager of the club. But I think you, you can't do anything but pay respect for, for the results in the last week or so. Yeah, and also there, there was something about... Uh, there's a couple of other things, but seeing as we're on the Potter uh, subject, for me, 
it everything was perfect against Dortmund. The way that the way that the light show actually worked really well before the game because it didn't have all the crappy flares, uh, you know, and the and the fire, which always I think cheapens it. It's a bit like a Bruce Springsteen gig, um, but you know, luckily we didn't we didn't have that. We just had lights. It was quite simple. It's quite laid back. The atmosphere was superb. The atmosphere was electric. We've talked about this earlier. And I think Potter finally understood what it means to be Chelsea Football Club and to be in the Champions League. Because his celebrations at the end were, were something else, weren't they? We've never seen this much emotion, Andy. No, uh, it was interesting that he couldn't watch the penalty. Um, you we'll know, get on clearly... to the penalty in a minute, but yeah. Yeah, but you know, I mean, all that stuff, you know, uh, turning to the crowd and urging them on and not watching the penalty and celebrating at the end. A lot, a lot of people have made a little bit too much about his measured approach and about his uh, inability to show the kind of emotion that we've become used to with managers like Mourinho and Conte and so on. Uh, I've never minded it; it's never been an issue for me. But I did like to see him actually affected by the game like we were. I mean, it was a brilliant atmosphere after so much toxicity for so many months to, to walk out of that stadium with a with a bounce and a spring in our step and just having enjoyed a, a great game of football and a brilliant result. It, it just felt such an unusual feeling and I, I'm glad the manager felt that as well. Yeah, and what are your thoughts, Daniel? It, it, do you think it's changed his dialogue now with, with Chelsea fans? I'm not entirely sure um, and... Although I sit more on sort of the Potter positive kind of side of things rather than Potter negative, I, I, you know, if you're someone that doesn't believe that he's the right man, I think it'd be silly to kind of completely change that just after one game or two games. You know, um, I think you can give credit to Potter for those games and still kind of think he's not the right man for the job and wait to see longer term improvement and longer term results. I don't think that's uh, irrational. Uh, but I, I did love particularly that just seeing him like have that you know moment of celebration at the end towards the Matthew Harden that I think was was something you want to see from every Chelsea head coach uh and it, it's kind of those moments that you envision when when anyone takes over that role of, of those moments of connection that are really important and I think for Graham Potter is is he has that moment now I think the problem that he's had in the first however many months it's been is that very few high points, very few memorable days as him as, as Chelsea head coach. And unfortunately, you can talk about context. You can talk about sometimes how we maybe overblow certain things within football. But to have those, everyone who was inside Stanford Bridge that night will remember that night for a very long time. Like we remember the win over PSG in 2014. Like we remember the win over Juventus uh, under Tuchel. Like we remember the Barcelona game in 05. Even though, even if you don't go on and win the Champions League, those that will be a, a, a massive night. And those highlights of that game will be replayed for, a, for generations to come as Chelsea fans. And he is a part of that. And I think that's special. And I just hope he can create more memories like that. And I hope that's given him a sense of, even if he doesn't show it... Um, in public, like doesn't say it, you know, as, as explicitly, it gives him a sense of power to come through this very difficult period. And he's faced criticism that few have faced, you know, in terms of, yeah, and also the, the struggle he's had in results, you know, that, that few would have survived in the past. And hopefully that gives him a lot of legitimacy and uh, with the players particularly. And, and, and he can go forward now. It's, 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 yeah, be, it'd be naive for any of us to sit here and go, I was saying this even after last week and the joy of it to say, I was saying on my channel that, you know, I can't sit here and give you the assurances that he's the right man for Chelsea. How can anyone, you know, sit here? Because football is a, a crazy game. But it... hey, look, every man at some point becomes the wrong man. <laughs> no yeah. one stays the right or, man or, yeah, forever. Or, or, you know, in the flip side, if he gets through this and in a year's time, he's still Chelsea head coach. Think of the power that gives him. You know, think of the power that gives him as as to get through that moment. But, you know, just for now, we can we should just be able to celebrate that win and also celebrate Chelsea doing well again. I, I don't I don't think it's it's wrong for a fan to just enjoy their team winning. That's kind of a big part of it. Yeah, that's true. The the other aspect we should look at, at the Dortmund game is luck. In the fact that you would think that um a few weeks ago when that ball comes across, Sterling 
air kicks it, it goes straight past him. This time it hits his standing leg, bounces forward, he can challenge for it, he can lash it in the net. Then you get the twice-taken penalty. Um, luck played a huge part. We got the rubber, the green for the first time in a while, probably since the uh, West Ham goal. That's been the first time we've had luck, don't you think, Andy? It played a part. It did play a part, but, you know, Havertz also had a shot that hit the post. You know, that was luck going against us. You know, we are cursed with the woodwork this this season, as we were in the game at the weekend as well. And, you know, it, it, I think luck has got a, a lot to do with it. It's been fine margins this season. There's been a couple of games that, you know, we've been depressed about losing, but they've been last minute or they've been unfortunate uh, goal scored by the opposition. It's not been a season of getting battered. It's been a season of... Of, uh, of of the fine margins falling the, the wrong way for us. It was nice to see us actually riding riding that wave a little bit uh, in, in midweek and coming out on the right side of it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, luck is one of those things you create. It goes for you, it goes against you. And also the, the times that we've played against sides where we've given the ball away or done made a mistake... And it gets punished immediately with a goal. And so it's run out. But I do think the way we played, we created some luck. Even down to the referee saying, well, actually, if Havertz had scored the goal uh, from the first penalty um, take, I would have made him take it again because Chilwell was also encroaching. So everything worked in our in our favour, um, and we we were lucky, but I think we created it. Um, lucky okay. as well that um, uh, the Bellingham missed an absolute sitter as well. Yeah, but that's what I mean. The, it, two weeks ago, a week, ten days ago, that goes in. End of story. It does. So you know. So okay. Um, so we are through to the last eight in the Champions League. Is there anyone you don't want to face? I know who I don't want to face. What about you, Andy? You've just got to play the best teams at this level, and bring it on is what I say. I don't think you can you can hope to you know to get one of the so-called lesser teams. They are all the best eight teams in the competition at the moment. So, listen, if we face Bayern or we face uh, you know Real Madrid or we face one of the other you know big teams still left in it, then I'm you know or City. You know, I think that's probably the one you're referring to. Yeah. But it's um, but but you know it, it's. Um, it's, it's it, it is what it is. I just think a, a big a big European night at the bridge. Let's savour it. We may not be in Europe for at least a year, so it's uh, it's important that we enjoy these evenings and uh, recognise the fact that we got to the last day. And everything from here is a bonus, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Dan, what what do you think? Any any thoughts on who or are you like Andy? Bring it on. Yeah, I'm not part of a brigade that is going to start complaining if you get a good team in the Champions League quarter final because. It's the last day. Like it's it's just what it is. Uh, but there is, there is absolutely a case where, like we had in 2021, um, when we got Porto, and then we got we were on the side of the draw that didn't have PSG, Bayern, or Man City. You know, in a case of that, then maybe you get a little bit excited. I would say, yeah, absolutely. I prefer Benfica, for instance. Um, but I'm not going to be completely outraged if it turns out to be Real Madrid. But I would say Real are probably the team who look the most impressive at the moment based on the the fixtures I've seen um they look an incredible team but I think as Andy just said there you know it's the Champions League and there is also that sense of magic about the Champions League that uh, the one thing I would say whoever we get it's getting away from home first that is something that's that's massive I think uh for these ties no matter who you play I think if, if Chelsea can get home advantage in the second leg that played a massive role obviously against Dortmund um it's not that you obviously can't do it the other way but I just I think that maybe played against us say last year against Real Madrid well and also you I know, know one, one of the teams I really one of the one of the things I really don't want to get is yeah. Napoli who are on fire at the moment you know they're you know that they look like they could be a real dark horse to to actually win it this year but you know Daniel's right let's just see who, who we get and you know, let's see if we can rise to the occasion, you know, as we did against Dortmund. So I, I think, you know, we're a team full of players that are, you know, realising that, you know, this might be their last chance at Champions League football for a while. So let, let's let's bring it on, I say. Yeah, and, and also the, there's that whole thing as well now that the pressure in a quarter final is probably less on Potter than it was in the last 16. Last 16, you go out, people talk about, ah, oh, it's a failure. Now, 
you're in the last eight. Somehow, miraculously, I think the pressure has shifted and I don't think it's on him in that way anymore. There's no disgrace to going out to Real Madrid or to Man City or whoever in the last eight. And yet, you're only three ties away from winning the cup again. And then we get another star on our shirt. Oh, we're going to have so many stars soon. It's it's just... Uh, and let's face it, Chelsea are one of those sides. It could be the way it goes for us because we're crazy. All right, well, look, uh, that brings us to the end of this first half of the pod. So we will be going to our commercial break and we'll be back after this. And we're back. So in the euphoria uh, of winning against Dortmund, we had Leicester away to look forward to. And now I was thinking I was going to have to be listening on the radio or, or watching somewhere, you know, that you really shouldn't be watching football. Not that I do, but I've heard people do. Um, but then somehow miraculously sorted out for us were a couple of tickets by Mr Andy Saunders and his friend Ted Cockle. How did this happen, Andy? And thank you so much. What can I say? It was so good of you. Well, it was a kind of last-minute thing. Thing. Ted. Ted's an away season ticket holder, and something came up, and he couldn't go, and asked me if if I knew anybody who would like to go, and I would have loved to have gone, but I had a mate stag that day, and that had been in the diary for ages, and I couldn't really let him down. So I thought, who would like to go? Who lives near Leicester that would like to go? And uh, and there was little Kerry with his expectant face. Uh, and Gary, who was willing to go and, and, and take a big detour to pick the tickets up from Chiswick. So it was a bit of an operation, but you went along and you had a lovely time, didn't you? Uh, it, it is. You know what? It's the first time I've been away for a while. And when it's right, Chelsea away is just the best thing ever. Uh, we were surrounded by a really good group of people. Everyone sang their hearts out the whole game. There were songs I've never even heard. There's a brilliant one about Kovacic. I've never heard it at the bridge. And you forget that. And Gary and I were talking about this, how there are songs that you hear away you never, ever hear at home. And you think, wow, these songs are brilliant. And they're really clever. They've got lots of words in them. They're not just the standard repetitious stuff. There's some really fantastic songs. And we stood the whole way through. It was exciting from beginning to end. The crowd made it as much as anything. And it was a brilliant, brilliant day out. So, yeah, I, I am absolutely made up. Three times in a week I've been to see Chelsea. I can't remember the last time that happened. Home and away. Just not oversee. But we did go. And Leicester. So that was good. Um, Daniel, do, do you like going to away games? Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't been to an away game for a while. Uh, but... One season, weirdly, that I was, ironically, I was able to go to a lot of away games was the 15-16 season when it all went wrong. So I experienced a few bad days. But I do agree with you. It is uh, is a, a very different experience, but can be a, a great one. Unfortunately, I think one of the last away games I went to was Brighton on like New Year's Day. And it was just, it was like, it was a 12-summit oh. kickoff. And, and no one was, I think Hull may have been a game I went to as well in the cup, but that was slightly better. But uh, yeah, I do. Like, I saw you at the Hull game. Did you? I saw you at the whole game. You were you were sitting like two rows behind me. Is that the Tamori uh, one? I didn't. I didn't. It, uh, yes, and it was uh, uh, Billy Gilmore came on in that game, and and it was an FA Cup game, right? That game. Yeah, I just remember it being like ridiculously cold, like Arctic weather. It was very cold. It was very cold, and it was um, Jared Bowen was their kind of star player who went on to play for West Ham yes. at the time. So, yeah, I do. I do remember seeing you there. Uh, nice. Interesting. Well, you know, the, the Leicester game, I mean, it was great, you know, because we had two of their old boys playing that day. We had Chilwell and Wesley Fofana and both of <laughs> them got so much abuse and it was hysterical. I mean, we just cheered like mad any time they touched the ball uh, and it was brilliant. And of course, you, you know, I mean, we, we got this same setup that we had against Dortmund, but we had Mudrick up front ahead of Havertz and he looked as though, because Potter had talked about Mudrick and said he took him out of the firing line, get him used to things. And he sort of, in the second half, he really grew into the game. Um, and there's a lot to like about what you can see. He's very raw, obviously. But um, what, what do you think about 
Mudrick Daniel. Do you think he's getting um, going to? It's going to take him time to adjust. But there were signs, weren't there? And bless him when he thought he'd scored. Yeah, uh, I I found a lot of the dialogue around Mudrick over the past week really bizarre. Like people going completely overboard about Mudrick uh, because he wasn't playing. I was a little bit frustrated that he didn't come on in the second half against Leeds, for instance, because I just felt that was a, with his pace. I thought that was a perfect time to bring him on. Chelsea defending a lead. Um, and, and the game was becoming a lot more about Chelsea trying to hit Leeds on the break. And then I thought that was a time to bring him on. But, you know, it, it's a bit like the Kukurea situation we were talking about earlier of, of, a, of a coach knowing when to, to to bring in a player and not and, and managing them well. And this is a guy who it's not just that we bought him in January, which is always kind of a difficult transition period and not just from another country, but he hadn't played football since November. So that fitness probably level for him was, was a little bit difficult, that adjustment period. And he had a really good cameo at Anfield. I think raised our expectations probably to a ridiculous level um, unfairly on him. And, you know, it's, it's like with a lot of players, it's been adjusting to that. And, for him, yeah, he's very exciting, I think, in terms of what he can do with his trickery that we haven't maybe seen as much. But particularly that speed that he's got is just, it's frightening because, I mean, I thought for a second that he'd actually time that run right. Um, you know, I, I thought he really did. And it's only going to be a matter of time before he scores that goal. And you can see how much it would mean to him when he does get that goal and hopefully he gets it next weekend. Um but for him, yeah, I think another player that hopefully Potter is managing well and uh, I, I think is 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 also, you've got to remember, is is young, raw and also is for the long term. You know, this is a guy who Chelsea have, and Chelsea's owners have invested in for a very long time. So to, to kind of make a snap judgment over a couple of weeks, a month or two is, is going to be unfair on, on what is a young player adapting to to a new culture. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, Andy, you, you can see he's still potentially still raw, but you get little glimpses of him coming through and you think, yeah, OK, once you've settled in. And it changes changes the atmosphere around the place. When you suddenly are winning, it's much easier to nurture people, mm. isn't it? It, it is, and and I, I remember you getting very very excited about Mudrick. I'm still excited after, uh, against 38 year old James Milner, who had to get hooked in that game, and uh, and and Trent brought on to cope with him. Yeah, he was brilliant in that little cameo, as Daniel said against Liverpool, but struggled a little bit since. So it was interesting that he brought him inside, played him in a much more central role, and played him more as a decoy runner, I think. And he was making great runs off the ball, creating space for Havertz, creating space for Felix. Um, you know, he's he was caught in possession a couple of times. He looked a little bit fragile at times, but he grew into the game. And I think in the second half, we started to see little glimpses of, of what he can do. And Daniel's right to, to talk about his absolute rapidity. He's incredibly quick. And um, real shame that that goal didn't, didn't count. I loved his celebration, even though everybody in the ground knew that it wasn't a goal. Um, but, you know, he just it's, went it's on it's, so much longer. I Everyone know. had walked back to, the, to, to waiting for I the know. free kick. I respect he was, still he was going, fully committed to it. If you're going to do that, you've got to commit. And he did. <laughs> he did he did 100% and um but you know in the second half I, th- I thought there was there was real flashes of what he can do it'd be interesting to see where he ends up playing because you know clearly with that kind of pace you'd think he'd be a flank player and, and going past people and but you know maybe maybe he's somebody that Potter has seen maybe some 10 potential in there or or it's going to be very interesting to see how he develops and you know given the fact that he hasn't played a huge amount of football he's only played 40 what we would call first class games I guess you know not not played that that much top flight football he's a he's a young raw exciting talent and we should treat him as such and, and not put too much pressure on him and, and and enjoy watching him develop hopefully over the long term at Chelsea yeah and the the, the other person that you have to if we're talking about celebrations and we talked about him a lot earlier Ben Chilwell I mean he he was great against Leicester and and when he did the old listening out to the Leicester fans when he scored so much for the deep respect for your former clubs he went I mean he was getting the abuse the whole time it, it just was his opportunity and at the end of the game he came over in front of everyone thumping the badge on his shirt to show everyone that he's Chelsea now and that was it I loved that and Fafana was, Fafana was absolutely brilliant Considering he could have got, had a goal he could yeah. have had yeah, a goal he he had, that, was, that was really well saved as well the header from the near post 
he looks like he's going to be a real threat from from corners. And and the person you felt sorry for, who's done nothing wrong, who couldn't start, was Baddy Ashil. Mm. You know, having to come on a substitute. You know, absolutely, probably our best player in the defence. But um, you know, the, the other person who's worth mentioning is Kulabali. How he suddenly seems to have have fitted in, and he's starting to play with more assuredness. He's maybe just getting used to it. He's not going to ground so much. Um, I've been quite impressed with him this last week or so. What about you, Daniel? I think it's uh, this situation because it's a, it's come off the back of a Thiago Silva injury and it slightly reminds me of the situation we had shortly after Tuchel arrived when Silva got injured and Christensen started playing in the middle of a back three and it worked for him. We're talking about two very different players here, but I think for Kula Bali, it's, it's a case of positioning as much as just his good performances and experience because I think that the pace of the game what is asked of him in the Premier League and the back four being dragged into areas, particularly wide ones where he's not as comfortable in that central role where he's got two dynamic players um, either side of him. I think you've, you've started to see his game be a lot more refined and that's where the best part of Koulibaly's defensive um, qualities and intelligence comes forward, really. Um, and I think because he's not being asked to do as much in that central role where he is a little bit protected. You know, you think back to say what Conte did with David Luiz um, and how great he looked in the in the centre of a back three. And he's got passing quality too, so he's able at times to have the licence to bring the ball forward and hit switches of play. But I also felt in a quite, what was quite a physical game, Particularly, there was difficult periods Chelsea had to get through in that game at Leicester. And I felt aerially he was very dominant too. So it's just, I think it's, it's, a, combina- it's a combination sorry, of, of, of the system suiting the player. And also, I think the player himself rising to the occasion. And, and as you said, maybe adjusting to football and, and adjusting to Premier League football. Yeah, I, I, th- I, th- I think that's a, a fair summation on it. And uh... I think there were so many players that you see are starting to come to life now. I mean, Felix, again, I mean, it looks like he must have gone off for an injury at halftime. I mean, I saw the challenge and it should have been a red card for that tackle against him. I have no idea how that doesn't get given. But do you remember Soccer AM used to have the crossbar challenge? Um, Well, Felix seems to have the woodwork (laughs) challenge, Andy, doesn't he? I mean, what is going on? He does all the hard part. And then it's almost like, I'll hit the bar, I'll hit the post, I'll, oh, well, there you go. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I just want to go back a little bit on, on the Kulabali thing. I think I, I, I've been really impressed with him. And I think, you know, Daniel's right. Playing in the back three really suits him. I, I've just, hopefully somebody just went to him, listen, big man, stop diving in. You know, stop diving in on the halfway line and you'll be fine. If you just give yourself a couple of yards, you've got Fafana and Cucurella or Fafana and Baddy Shield either side of you. They'll, they'll sort you out, but don't go diving in. You know, just be a presence there. You're elite in the air. You know, make sure that you're there as our aerial physical dominant player at the back. And, you know, the, the players around you will get you out of trouble. And I think, you know, I think he's realised that. And I think, you know, he's not a stupid player. He was an absolute god at Napoli and uh, and in Serie A. So we didn't buy a dud. We It just took him a little bit of a, a time to, you know, to, to figure out where how to maximise his strengths in the Premier League. And I think that's credit to, to Potter is, is making sure that, you know, that he's putting the players around him to make sure he, he functions at his very best and obviously that's come on the back of, a, of an injury but you know but but good luck to him and also Havertz as well I think Havertz you know playing playing I know you guys have spoken to him but I just wanted to say playing him in his in his correct position I think has really highlighted what a talented player he is and you know you talk about celebrations the kind of non-celebration of Kai Havertz was was quite a thing as well it's like well, everybody no, shrugging everybody shrugging their shoulder going is that a goal or is it offside no, or what because he doesn't seem ground. to get you know I nobody know, in the odd. ground knew it it was so funny I said I think that's a goal. And people, what do you mean it's a goal? Well, it's gone in the net. Because he just went and went in and picked the ball up and had it under his arm. And then he did a one-handed celebration. And then everyone went, oh, and the referee, even the referee was slow to point to the the centre circle spot. What was the question? Uh, the, the the question was about Jao Felix. Um, oh, so so, so so Jao Felix. I thought first fifteen minutes was doing his very best to lose us the game. You know he you know he hit the post. He got caught in possession for the goal. He had an absolute shocker for the first fifteen minutes. I mean he created chances, but you know it was it was like come on Jao, sort yourself out, mate. And then obviously you know obviously I think you have to put the goal down to him. Although it was a worldy strike from from twenty odd yards. Um, I, I think he sorted himself after that. I really. 
really like him. He's got a bit of X factor about him. He's got he's got a bit of devil about him. He's he's got something that other players don't have. So again, he's a player that we need to figure out how best to utilize. But I, I said on a previous podcast, I think if we do end up with him permanently, he could be a talismanic player for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think when he lost the ball, he thought about sliding in for a challenge, but I think he just suddenly remembered Fulham and just went, oh, no, I'm going to let him have it, which is, which is fair enough. The, the, the other player I really would like to mention um, in, in the last bit of this talking about the Leicester game, uh, who I think actually had his best game for us, and if he plays like this consistently, shows why we should make sure we keep him. And that's Conor Gallagher. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. I think he, we saw absolutely the best of him. Daniel, w- w- what's your take on Conor, especially the Leicester game? Yeah, I think it's it's obviously been a challenging first season for him as, as, a, as a Chelsea player. I think at times... You could argue we've misused him. Uh, I, you know, I felt right at the start of the season when Tucker was using him almost as kind of like a Jorginho type player, picking up the ball from defence. I mean, it was just like ridiculous. And actually, funny enough, that was against Leicester way back in August. Um, and there's obviously been a lot of change. There's been, you know, a lot of chaos at Chelsea this year. Players coming in, players going out, and and maybe adapting to that. And and he is clearly a raw player but I think it's a it's a sort of a trend we've been speaking about today of, of using players in their correct way and I think that Gallagher he's not a central midfielder in a sense he's not a Kovacic but he is someone that kind of operates he can operate as a bit of an eight but then also someone that I think you need to have close to the goal and he's He's just got intangible things about him that make him a very effective and a nuisance player for the for the opposing team, which made him re- very effective coming off the bench in recent games to help Chelsea hold a lead, particularly against Leeds and Dortmund. Um, and I think the crowd loves watching Conor Gallagher play because you, you see those kind of extra that extra percent he gives um that makes him effective you know the moment against Leeds where he goes right down to the corner flag and keeps the ball in and almost creates a goal for himself like it's not the most aesthetically pleasing thing that say a Joao Felix can do but it's effective and I think Gallagher is proving himself now to be a player that is worth persisting with who I think yeah sure maybe doesn't have the the natural talent of, of other players around him but I think has enough of, of the work rate and, and right mentality that I could see him sticking around and, and maybe proving himself to be more effective. He, I think the difficulty he's going to have is the number of players in the areas he wants to play in. I think that's going to be the only challenge for him if you do have a, an Nkuku coming in, if you do have a Joao Felix sticking around. But he still is quite young and, and he loves Chelsea, clearly. He wants to make it here. And based on recent performances, I think Potter is, is going to entrust you know more, more for him. So I think that's a good thing and and I do agree you've got to pick him out and say this is a guy who's who's not I don't just want to say he's like a workhorse and he runs around like headless chicken he's a very intelligent player pressing you know we saw this at Crystal Palace last year and that's why I thought he'd make an impact and I also thought last season that why I loved the five sub rule was that I think he'd be a great player to maintain Chelsea's energy in the second half of a game when it really flagged last season in in key moments and I think that's exactly what you're seeing at the moment. Uh, Andy, anything to add on Conor Gallagher? He's he's got an engine, without a doubt. Um, I do think there's an element. There is an element of headless chicken about him at the moment. I mean, there is, you know, and I think that he needs to find some discipline in his play. I love his energy, and I love the the way he approaches the game. And 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 he does. He has got intelligence. I'd like him to deploy that intelligence a little bit better um on occasion but yeah he played really well uh in the last couple of games I've seen him actually um and bringing him on as a as a you know as as a as a force of nature in that midfield to to harry and press and torment already tired players i think is a is is a fantastic thing to have what i'd like to see is 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 him as a starter being being more more aware of what the game plan and the strategy is and how he fits into that rather than going out there and being a tornado. Um, it's not. I'm not. I'm not criticizing. Him. I'm. I'm really not. I'm not criticizing him or. or, or digging but I think him that was the thing about the Leicester game is that he actually did hone it. This is why I'm picking he him did. out. I think it's the first yeah. time he's done that properly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And again, that's one game. You know, it goes yeah, back yeah, to what we've sure. been saying as as a theme for this 
podcast almost. It's like I want players to do these things consistently. I, I want them to, you know, to, to, to show me over 5, 10, 15 games that they are not just going to have one-off great games, that they are going to show up week in, week out and be world-class players. And I think Conor Gallagher's, Conor Gallagher's capable of that and he's demonstrated that he's capable of that. I just want him to consistently come out on that pitch and affect the game in a positive way. And lastly, we should mention Kovacic now as captain and the things that Potter said about him last week, that he's chosen him as captain because he's a very important player for Chelsea. Does that kind of make it look as though the idea that Kovacic is one of those players that he'll move on in the summer may not actually be the truth? What are your thoughts, Daniel? Because also he's mm. played, he, he still gets caught in possession a bit, you know, in the middle of the park. It's it's so frustrating. But then he came up and scores a goal when we were saying, well, at least, you know, Kova won't ever score a goal. He's had one this season, so yeah, it's, it's a difficult one with Kovacic. I'm not entirely sure at the moment uh, because you do hear things that maybe he's he's thinking about a move. You look at the age he's in now, and and particularly Chelsea starting to invest in central midfield on younger players like Enzo Fernandez and is N'Golo Kante going to sign that new contract? Are Chelsea going to go in for another midfielder in the summer? Uh, I <coughs> Kovacic is, I think, a valuable squad member because I think he. He has been a nearly player for most of his career. Like you, do, you watch him on Saturday when he scores the goal, and you. I've always said this about Kovacic. Like technically, what he provides to a team, it's understandable why a lot of top coaches would want to have Kovacic in their team. Particularly being able to get get out of a press quite quickly, being able to progress the ball. But if as a central midfielder he would add more goals to his game, which is a very, it's not an easy thing to do. It's you know, but if he had that more consistently he would be one of the best midfielders in the world because he almost is the full package um but maybe just i mean giving him the captaincy and and maybe giving him a little bit more of a, a an improved role or responsibility as as a senior member now of this team you know compared to where he was a few years ago like he's what 27 28 now so he is one of the older players in what is likely to become a younger team in the next few years um could convince him to stay uh, but i'm not i'm still not entirely sure i think that there's going to be so much changing in this squad over the summer uh i think kovacic still is one of those unknown names but at the moment you know he's putting in good performances and until ingolo kante is back fit i think it's obvious him and enzo look like a good partnership that, that's proving effective for chelsea at the moment yeah, I think that's true. Andy, have you got anything to add on Kovacic before we move on to the Everton game? He's actually 29 in May, um, so he's getting to that point in the career that if he is going to make another big move, he probably has to do it now. Um, I like him. I think he's a squad player. If he's happy being a squad player, then um, then I'm happy for him to stay. He obviously scored a wonder goal uh, at the weekend. He doesn't have a lot of goals in his game. Um, so it's interesting to see what, Potter, whatever managers want from him. Because if you're going to play Enzo, who also doesn't have a lot of goals in midfield as well, but has a much more defined defensive role, I think, um, you know, maybe he's thinking, I want to get an eight in, you know, a box to box who's going to, you know, maybe add some goals and assists. And Kovacic might be, a, might, might fall victim to that. But I think we all like him and we like his, you talk about energy. He is somebody that has controlled energy. He's somebody that that, that can go out there and, and use that press, that uh, that ability to get in and, in and amongst it and drive with the ball really effectively and, and really intelligently. And hopefully Connor Gallagher can look at what Kovacic does and, 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 and pick some of that discipline up. Right, okay. Well, look, let's go to uh, final thoughts because we should wrap this up. Uh, it's Everton at home at the weekend. It's another train strike day. Oh, dear, oh me. Um, but I'll be coming to see you, Andy, and coming down with you. Um, what are your thoughts, Andy? You can go first. Prediction, please. Well, you know, we are we're on a roll, aren't we? And I, I, I get the sense, I got the sense after Tuesday that confidence came flooding back into that team and 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 at Leicester that was confirmed it just looks like a confident team now with with one of the things I was complaining about uh, alongside the kind of toxicity of our fan base um you know not helping the situation was the fact that the players looked like they weren't enjoying playing football that there was a a certain joylessness amongst them which you know which I think we all felt and then we're all sitting there going why are you playing why are we watching what's the point you know but I felt after Dortmund and certainly after Leicester that there was a sort of bounce and a spring in their step and they were enjoying it and the way they celebrated the goals and uh, uh, and the kind of the 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 reaction at the end I, I hope they take 
take that into the game, particularly at the bridge where I think people are going to be boy, they are going to be up for it, they are going to be supportive. If they can apply that against a team like Everton who are struggling, who are there and thereabouts in the relegation places, who haven't really managed to sort themselves out post-Lampard yet, who look like they can't score a goal for love nor money. Um, I, you know, I, I've, I think you've got to be confident against Everton. I, I think this is a game that we can really impose ourselves on. I'm going to say 3-0. Excellent. Daniel, what do you think? Yeah, I feel very similar, to be honest. Uh, I think it's it's nice to go into a game at Stamford Bridge feeling that confidence and looking at a game where this is a real opportunity ahead of the last international break of the season to go in flying, you know, four wins in a row um, and to make that happen. And, and particularly against the Sean Dyche team who... We know what they're going to be about when they come to the bridge. It's going to be physical. They do have some players technically who at times can score good goals, like the likes of Damari Gray, for instance. I think Andre Onana is a really good midfielder who probably will get a big move if Everton go down. Um, Dwight McNeil scored a, a banger at the weekend, but that's not very consistent. Um, and I also think Daesh teams, for as effective as they can be, are usually very narrow and I think the way we're operating with wing backs now makes that you know I look at Ben Chirwell for instance going up against that potential back four he could he could move to say a back three and and you know try and really shore it up Sean Dyche but you've got to be confident with Chelsea that they can assert themselves in this game and you know you're looking at some of those opportunities that we've we've passed up in recent weeks and even in the Leicester game like the Joao Felix hitting the post you're starting to see those margins and kind of uh, those go for us again Chelsea trying to finding goal scoring form again and um, I just think it's it's an amazing opportunity to just because then you have that break which you know you can sort of moan if Chelsea win or why is it the international break now but I think for Potter it ends this period of the season on on such a great sort of vein of form I mean I know I usually can't it, can I go for the same score on a free I'd say three nil I I think that um, it's it's it just it feels like you know the chances we we passed up at the weekend three nil hopefully a clean sheet for Kepa and uh, go into that international break flying. Okay, well, I'm going to do something really unusual because I am going to tell you my prediction, which is 3-0. And I don't (laughs) mind that. This is the first time we've all actually agreed. We're so obviously going to lose (laughs) 1-0 now. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I I feel exactly the same as you two. Uh, This is an opportunity to go into the international break and go, phew, we can mop our brow. We've come out the other side. We're ready to go for the rest of the season. That's how it feels. That's how it looks. Also, also, just quickly, that win would get correct. us the magical forty points. So I think any talk of relegation will be. We're staying <laughs> yeah. up. We're staying yeah. up. <laughs> exactly. Well, we are staying up. That's going to be it, right? Let's go for that. Let's let's get that first landmark out of the way. Thank you for that. All right, everybody. Well, that's it. We are out of time. Uh, lovely to see you. Thank you for joining us, Daniel. Uh, thank you, Andy, for finding a way to get your power connected and join us. Uh, this has been the Chelsea. Come on, Chelsea. Come on, you Blues. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.